Good morning, AIC family. I've already learned that's the way to do the greeting. Um, before I start, I did want to, uh, to introduce some friends that are here with me. The reason I'm here this weekend is uh, I serve on an organization in China called Bless China International. And, uh, and so we have uh, some of the board members are here this morning and their families and some guests. And so if you guys are here with Bless China International, if you would mind standing so the congregation could acknowledge that you're here. So this work is, uh, is focused in Yunnan province in southwest China with uh, poverty alleviation uh, projects there. In the past year, I've had the privilege of, of traveling a bit more internationally than I used to when I lived in China. When I was teaching at the university, I was tied to my classes, and I, I didn't travel ex internationally as much as I did inside China. And this year, I had a chance to meet a young woman. She's from Thailand. We use her English name as Mary. When I got to Thailand, she had met the Savior through a young American missionary who had shared the gospel with her there at the university. Her response to the gospel was, that's too easy. God wouldn't just give away heaven for nothing. But as she watched the life of this young person and heard the gospel, began worshiping in a Thai church, she realized it was true and she gave her life to Christ. Her major was Chinese, and so when I visited, my Thai is terrible. Her English was Mama Hu Hu. But our ability to speak Chinese to each other gave us the chance to communicate, and she said, I'm so excited about what God has done in my life. Could I use my Chinese language ability to serve the Lord in China? And I said, I know some people. And so we made some phone calls, we sent some emails, and right now she's living in the central part of China, and she's using her Chinese to live, but she's teaching the Thai language to Chinese missionaries who are preparing to move to Thailand to share the gospel in a part of Thailand that she would not be uh, familiar with and not be part of her home. I also have met a South African woman she grew up in Johannesburg, not a Christian family. Uh, she got to the university. There was a South African missionary there on the campus who shared the gospel with her. She gave her life to Christ as she began to grow. She was so excited about what God had done in her life. She said, surely there's something I could do to serve the Lord. And so she joined the campus ministry that this other missionary had been a part of. And after a few years, the Lord called her to move to Brazil, thousands of kilometers from her home, and now she's in Brazil sharing the gospel with Brazilian university students. And when I visited her in Brazil, I met a Brazilian man named Alan. Alan did not grow up in a Christian home. He met the Savior when he was a university student. So excited about what God had done in his life, he decided to reach out to be a missionary to university students. And for the past 10 years, he's been sharing the gospel with university students in Brazil. And then earlier this year, he and his wife moved to Birmingham, England. Birmingham, England. They, do they really need missionaries in Birmingham, England? Well, at the university where he just arrived about five weeks ago, 60% 
of the university students at that university are Muslim. And so he's gone to share the gospel with those university students. As I, as I meet these young people, as I interact with them, I wonder, where does this motivation come from? They didn't grow up in Christian families. They haven't had church as part of their history. Why would they leave their families? Why would they move to another country, learn another language, learn another food, learn another culture? Why would they do that? And in thinking about it, at the end of our Missions Emphasis Month, I thought about a young woman in Genesis chapter 38. If you have your Bible with you, if you want to turn to Genesis 38, this is not a common missions passage of the Bible, um, so you might be a little surprised. It also ties in with our Advent theme, because the woman in Genesis 38's name is Tamar. And if you don't know Tamar, there's a, a park and a street over on Hong Kong Island that has her name on it. Yesterday, I was really wrestling with this sermon a little bit, and I saw, as I was walking through Admiralty, the sign for Tamar Park, and I thought, it's a sign from the Holy Spirit. I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> but uh, Tamar is not only mentioned in Genesis 38, but she's also mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 2, because she is part of the family of Jesus. And so when they list Joseph's family ancestry and Mary's family ancestry, both of them trace their family history back to Tamar. And so we're going to look at, at her story briefly this morning. So let's read. I'll read. Uh, you can follow along in your Bible. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And there Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her, went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur, or Ar. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shalah. And Judah, Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and so the Lord put him to death. And so Judah said to Onan, Take Tamar as your wife, your brother's wife. Perform the duty of a brother-in-law, that she might have a son, and you can raise up an offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that it would not be his son, and so whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. And then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house until Shelah, my other son, grows up, because he worried that he would die like his brothers. And so Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, hey, your father-in-law is going to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil, wrapped herself up, and sat at the entrance, which is on the road to Timnah. She saw that Shelah had grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, she thought she, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. 
And so he turned him to the roadside and said, Come, let me know you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me? And he answered, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, Only if you give me a pledge until you send the goat. And he said, What pledge do you want? She replied, Your signet ring, your cord, and your staff in your hand. So he gave them to her. Then she arose and went away, taking off her veil. She put on the garments of her widowhood again. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge, he did not find her. And when he asked the men of the place, where is this prostitute who was at Enam at the roadside? They said, no cult prostitute has ever been here. So he returned to Judah, and he said, I've not found her. And the men said, there's no such prostitute there. Judah said, let her keep the things Otherwise, we'll be laughed at. You can see, I did the right thing and sent the goat to her. Three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. And moreover, she's pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. Please identify whose these are, this signet ring and cord and staff. Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. All right, so for those people who think the Bible is boring, this is, uh, this is like a Korean soap opera. It's amazing. Now, before we talk about Tamar, you have to know a little bit more about Judah. Judah was one of 12 boys. His mother was the first wife of Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, the father of faith, the one who established the Jewish nation, the one that would give us the Messiah. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had these 12 boys. Judah was number four. But Jacob never acknowledged Judah, or Reuben, or Simeon, or Dan, or Levi. He really felt he only had one son, Joseph. And over and over, he would talk about his son, Joseph. And the other boys were very jealous about their father's affection. And they hated Joseph, and they resented their father. And so Judah, one day, sold his brother Joseph as a slave to the Egyptians. The other brothers were there, but it was Judah's idea. You can read about it earlier in Genesis. So you can see what a great guy Judah was. Good brother, good son, filial piety, very Chinese. Sarcasm. He was a terrible Chinese son. So just after he sold Joseph as a slave, this is where we get to chapter 38. And so you've got this story about Abraham and Isaac and and, uh, Jacob and the brothers and Joseph being sold, and suddenly this story about Judah and Tamar kind of gets dropped in the middle of the story. It doesn't seem to fit. See, Judah leaves home. He knows he's disappointed his father. His father finds out that Joseph is, they tell him he's dead. And instead of saying, oh, at least I have you other 11 boys, he just closes off and shuts off from the rest of the boys and the rest of the family. And so Judah said, that's it. I'm tired of this man. And he leaves home. It says here he leaves his brothers. He leaves his father. And he goes to a Canaanite country, a foreign land. Strangers, Wagoran. And when he's there, he not only leaves the Jewish family, but he also marries a Canaanite woman. 
and he has three sons. And they grow up. So you can tell he's been away from home for a long time. The boys are old enough to be married. So you can estimate about 20 years or so that he's been gone at least. And Tamar is the woman that's chosen to marry his firstborn son. And of course, the son is evil. There's a big surprise. And so he dies. The second son dies. And so Judah is a little, a little fearful, a little superstitious. He's like, uh, I mean, I did a bad thing. I left my father. I sold my brother. And now my sons are dying. I, I probably need to be a little more careful here. And so he says to Tamar, look, why don't you go back to your father's house and just wait? Sheila's just a teenager. He needs to finish middle school, maybe university. Let, let him grow up a little bit, then we'll get married. But he has no intention of marrying her to him. She's bad luck. And so, uh, so she sits at home. And his wife dies. He becomes a widow. And he goes off to shear sheep with the boys. And she... She has this weird scheme. She decides to act like a prostitute to meet and connect with her father-in-law. She knows what kind of guy he is. Remember, she's been around for a while. She's listened as she's probably done a lot of cooking, a lot of home maintenance intense there. She's listened to her husband, her second husband, her father-in-law talk for years. They've asked their father stories about his father. You, we never met our grandfather. What was he like? So he would tell stories about Jacob. What about your grandfather? He would tell stories about Isaac. Maybe even tell stories about Abraham. But probably not genuine stories of affirmation. Possibly mocking stories. Possibly stories of derision. Because remember, he's hated his family. But Tamar has heard these stories about this appearance of God to Abraham, of God to Isaac, God to Jacob. Jacob's ladder where God promised again to make them a great nation, to send a savior through this family to rescue all the nations of the world. And, and as she's heard this, do you know how you get to be a part of this family if you're not born into the family? Well, if you're a man you actually have to go through a surgical procedure to become a part of the family of God. But women didn't go through that surgical procedure. The only way for women to come into the family of God at that time was to marry into the family or be born into the family. Tamar, because she had married Ar, had become part of the family of God. She was a recipient of the promises that God had made to this covenant family. And now she'd been pushed out, and she didn't have a son, so there was no connection to the family anymore. And so Tamar, desperate to find a way to get back into this promised family, went to meet her father-in-law in secret, to risk her life. If it was discovered that she had committed this immorality, she was going to die. They would kill her. Why would she take such a risk? Because the good news draws us. It pushes us to risk, to sacrifice. And for her, this was her only hope. And so sure enough, she met Judah. She got pregnant by Judah. And when he found out, he thought, perfect, I'm rid of her forever. I can get this bad luck out of my family. Kill her. But she had 
one last card. She had his ring. She had his, his signet, his cord, his staff, and she said, whose are these? And did you see his response? When he saw his cord, when he saw that he was the father, his response was, what did he say? She is more righteous than I. She is more righteous than I. The one who had been born into the family, a direct heir of the promise of the Messiah Jesus, and he gave it away. He left the family. He took it for granted. He didn't value the gift that had been given him by his father and grandfather and great-grandfather. This woman who had no hope except for the promise of being married in, she risked her life to get it. And he recognized the righteousness of her faith. And he spared her life, and he protected her going forward. I believe it's at this moment that Judah placed his faith in the promise of God. And if you read the rest of Genesis, you'll see the evidence of this change in Judah's life. If you jump to Genesis 44, you find that Judah went back home. Not only did he go back home, but he re-engaged with his father and brothers. And when a famine came to the land, the brothers were sent by Jacob to go get food in Egypt. You remember the story? Joseph had already been sent ahead and had prepared food. And so when Judah and the brothers got there, remember, Judah's the fourthborn. He's not supposed to be the leader. The firstborn is the responsible one. But when they got there, you see Judah begins to take leadership. This character that had changed in his life. And when they went back, uh, Joseph gave him a test. And he, he said that Benjamin had stolen his cup. And he was going to keep Benjamin and send the brothers back to the father. This is because Benjamin was the other, other son of Joseph's mother, Rachel. Was Jacob's favorite. And so he thought, I've seen these guys. They hate Benjamin like they hate me. And so he said, I'll keep Benjamin. Just go on back home. And who came to talk to Joseph? It was Judah. And I'm going to read this because it's one of the most beautiful explanations of the gospel. Genesis chapter 44. Down at the end, Judah went up to Joseph. And he said, verse 18, Oh my Lord, let me speak a word in your ears. And don't let your anger burn against your servant. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we told you we have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age, and that his brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children. And you said, Bring him down, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to you, The boy cannot leave his father, or the father will die. And you said, Unless you bring him, you will not see my face again. And we went back to my father, we told him your words, and our father said, go buy us some more food. And I said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother does not go with us, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And then your servant, my father, said to us, you know my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, that's Joseph, and I will never see him. And you will take the other one, and something happens to him, it will kill me. My gray hairs will go down to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, 
And his life is bound up in the boy's life. And as soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down his hair in grief. For your servant, Judah, your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before my father all my life. And now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Do you see? Judah said, keep me as a slave and send Benjamin, the one who was guilty of stealing this cup, send him back to my father. Judah's life had so been changed by what he had seen in Tamar that it compelled him to give up his life for his younger brother. Does that sound like anyone you've ever heard of before? We just ate the bread and drank the cup of the, the son of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who said to the father, put your wrath on me. Let me be kept and send my younger brother to the father. We have been given the privilege of going to the father as sons and daughters because Jesus was rejected and sent outside the camp and crucified on the cross. That's what the table reminds us of. The gospel in Tamar's life motivated the gospel into Judah's life. And they had children. The sons that were born through that unholy union were twins. One was named Perez. And he became the ancestor of the Savior Jesus. If you are here this morning and you have never experienced the beauty, the wonder of Jesus having taken the punishment for your sin, the shame for your dishonorable attitudes toward the Father, or the weakness that you have to change yourself, then I would encourage you to let today, the first Sunday of Advent, be the day where you would respond and submit your life to Christ that you would accept his substitute for you. You would be born into the family of God, made, uh, made a part as a son or a daughter, brought into the family like Tamar. It doesn't quite cost you the same thing. You don't have to marry in. You don't have to go through a surgical procedure. Jesus' sacrifice for us has made it much easier. It's by faith. We just trust and believe. Like Mary said, Really, he would give it away that easily? Yes, it's a gift. For those of us who have already given our life to Christ, perhaps as we listen to the testimonies this morning, as we watch the excitement of these new family members, may it be for us, as it was for Judah, a motivation, a reminder of the zeal of the newness of the discovery of faith that we would be compelled to greater levels of trust in our giving, in our living, and maybe even in our going, that others would have the opportunity to say yes to Christ for the first time. Let me pray for us. Gracious, loving Heavenly Father, Thank you that you have made a way for us. Thank you that this way 
in Christ is so much easier. We're not, we're not required to do rituals or go through a process, but simply by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, you will move us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and into the family of God. Father, we pray for those in our families, in our buildings, in our workplaces who don't yet know you. We pray that you might be pleased to use each of us as a means of your grace, that even next Sunday the candle would burn again because there would be another opportunity for us to share the good news of what you've done and people would respond in faith and trust. We thank you for these new brothers and sisters that we're about to celebrate with, not saved by the water, but that the water is an outward sign of this inward change that you've already accomplished in their life. And so we worship you together in Jesus' name. Amen.